Hey all, welcome to Film Suck, a Patreon podcast in which we ponder the work of art in the age of crap cinema. I'm Eileen Jones. I'm Dolores McElroy. And today we're talking about our experience at the Joel Cohen in person film series at the Pacific Film Archive in Berkeley, California. Uh, I realize I've already written a very short essay for this, but um, there's so much to say and it's such a once in a lifetime thing, sadly, <laughs> probably no version <laughs> of this can ever occur again, that I think we're justified um, in hashing through this in some detail because so much went on and it was really, really exciting and delightful. We're calling this episode, by the way, Joel Cohen in person, definitely meet your heroes because it's so <laughs> rewarding to do it. Um, well, let's talk, you know, first, let's just get your take on the experience. You, unfortunately, your teaching schedule is so, you know, extreme um, yes. and so hardworking that you couldn't come to, you know, you couldn't come through the whole series. So you only had the experience really of the one day. Is that right? That is That's right. true. Yes. But speaking of teaching, it was kind of an adorable intro to the event. I got mm. this like miraculous parking spot outside of the mm. PFA, the Pacific Film Archive that was hosting the series. And um, it was before uh, there was like a little reception, Eileen, before the tragedy of Macbeth, where uh -huh. you Eileen was to interview Joel, Joel Cohen and Francis McDormand. And mm -hmm. I saw my students outside and there was a buzz and they were like, did you hear that Joel Cohen's inside? <laughs> <laughs> And they had actually been to see Sunrise, which was one of the films that Joel Cohen programmed. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll let Eileen tell about it was a series of not only the Cohen Brothers films, but also of films that were influential to the Cohen Brothers. Mm -hmm. And um, so there was already a buzz coming from the students, which was so exciting. And the one night I was there for the tragedy of, of Macbeth, it was uh, completely sold out. And of course, that makes things even more charged. Mm -hmm. um, so I was expecting, um, you know, a much more like uptight, uh, glamorous affair. It was very nice. It was a very mm. nice event, um, but it was not uptight. And it was mm. it was very relaxed. And I like uh, the I don't know, three minutes in, you know, looked over my shoulder and there was Francis McDormand wearing bl basic black and no makeup and having like a normal conversation. Mm. I wasn't normal about it, but just on the inside. <laughs> Um, and, <laughs> and then, you know, Joel Cohen was nearby, just like hashing it out. But this um, the whole event was certainly not about me. This is all about Eileen's deep love for the Cohen brothers. <laughs> and we are recording this to uh, make sure that we that we save it to all these memories as fresh as possible and get it down for posterity so that we don't forget <laughs> anything that happened, because it was 10 days of just like like so many interactions, so many wonderful, warm, interesting, like this is a fantasy. Um, so let's, let, we're going to recount the events of the week. Um, so let's just start with I, Eileen, you don't live in Berkeley where the festival was held. Right, you live in right. Buffalo. How mm -hmm. did this whole thing come about? Um, well, it was, yeah, I, I recounted this a bit in the, in the essay, but I'll, I'll repeat the, the high points. It was, it was such a miraculous thing. I just got an email out of the blue from, um, Catherine Mackay, who, you know, goes by Kate. She's the associate film curator at Pacific Film Archive or PFA. And she wrote me to just say, would you be interested in interviewing Joel Cohen for oh one of God. the films, uh, you know, for one of the films that he's made that he are going to be shown in the series? And it was the most gasp inducing, like, I can't, this can't be happening um, thing because, <laughs> you know, and any filmmaker that I admire would be exciting, but he's, he and his brother Ethan are the filmmakers that I've not only followed since my undergraduate years, like avidly, 
They have been my favorite filmmakers the entire time. I think they're the greatest living American filmmakers, maybe, you know, with David Lynch, but they're mm-hmm. right at the top. And, you know, I've written academic papers about them. I've, I've reviewed their films many times. I've, you know, got a very, very rough draft, <laughs> truncated draft of a book that I want to finish. Um, I've taught a <laughs> class repeatedly on them. So I'm up to my eyeballs in everything's going. So um, being interviewed to do this was insane. And of course, they were they, the, the four films he'd chosen were Tragedy of Macbeth from 2021, Inside Lewin Davis, 2013, Miller's Crossing, mm-hmm. 1990, or A Serious Man. 2009 I would have been thrilled to do any of them but I picked Miller's Crossing for complex reasons we we can get into later uh, maybe um it's it's one of my favorites of their films and it just is meaningful it's extra meaningful for a lot of different reasons so I chose that and was granted that one but then um I was told later by Kate that she was going over the the choices of interlocutors um with Joel Cohen and it, he wound up saying he liked my my review of Tragedy of Macbeth that I'd written. Let's Jackson. pause there. Let's just pause. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Already. Joel Cohen so has been reading Eileen's reviews. Uh, <laughs> just a yeah. moment to let that sink in. Okay, yeah. please proceed. <laughs> uh, really, really just <laughs> astounding. But at any yeah. rate, and that, so why couldn't I do that instead? So she relayed this to me. And of course, I'm not going to say no to Joel Cohen if that's what he wants. <laughs> that's what we're doing. So yeah. that's how I wound up interviewing Joel Cohen and Francis McDormand, who started this Lady Macbeth. Um, um, for the, and for, more terrifying, though, um, you know, Miller's Crossing was the third out of the four films to be shown. So on the second weekend, almost the last. And I had opening night, the big night when the reception oh. was beforehand. So it was just ratcheted up. <laughs> No the, and, the tension even more. <laughs> totally. And you were so good. Like as usual with these things, like the order of events is always nightmarish. Oh, so, yeah. you know, there's like a reception at five for, for like two hours, you oh, know, but before that, before that, even worse, there's a screening that Joel Cohen, his first screening, not of his own films, but of a silent film called Sunrise. Mm-hmm. He's, he winds up saying things, or I found out he was going to be saying things about Sunrise and the production design that he was going to relate to to Tragedy Macbeth, which meant <laughs> I had to go to that too. So that Your meant God. I had to go to, to Sunrise and then the reception at five and then the screening at nine. And then at the end of this long ass grueling day, the interview, which was about right. as bad a schedule for me as I could imagine. Couldn't we have the reception at the end where I can drink and relax and everyone else can too? I mean, wow. Exactly. And for just like any human being to sit through, yes. you know, like two screenings and a- <laughs> I know. Exhaustion. In fact, I remarked on that to Joel and he completely shrugged. I'm like, that's a really long ass day, isn't it? He's and he was just like, Meh. I think it wow. has to do with his filmmaker training. As he as he pointed out, you know, when he was much younger and made blood simple, he said he looked like, you know, in the middle of it, he looked like he'd been on the baton death march because he was so exhausted. But he got himself in training basically trained up. So so I said, yeah. Oh, you mean you started looking forward to the next baton death march? And he said, No, well, not quite, but something like that. So I think he just has superhuman stamina from making films for all these years that's my theory anyway probably i i think that's a sound theory but you did so well even though i know uh like i'd love for you to talk about the process of preparing the questions Mm -hmm. and then i was sitting near you so i know you you pieced out like 20 minutes into the tragedy of Macbeth (laughs) to go like revise your questions before going onto stage so like what were the questions you prepped um what made you decide you needed to make changes and how did that how did that whole process go and i should note that i I wanted none of that to happen. I, I imagined myself, <laughs> you know, having my pristine, perfect copy of questions 
when I got on the plane and just being like, I am set. And all I had to do was memorize them and blah, blah, blah. And that is not what happened. Instead, I did all this reading. In fact, I started way too broad. I was going to read like everything ever. And that was idiotic. So I started focusing and I read, you know, so many interviews that they had done on the movie and so much about the movie. And so I just read, 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 read too much because I got to the point of a little bit of despair of thinking, I don't know how I'm going to ask a question they haven't heard 10 times. They've been asked uh, everything. So my initial batch yeah. of questions when I got on the plane, I, I was not happy with. They, they, they seemed kind of rote, repetitive, and there was nothing fresh. I just couldn't hmm. seem to come up with what I wanted. But on the plane, of course, naturally, on my way yes. flying to the event the day before, I, I start getting the questions in my mind that I want. Um, <laughs> so that yeah, was awkward. <laughs> because it was all, like that time it draft by then, and then I was going to have to keep revising which i did uh, you know all the, all the you know the next day leading up to leaving for the sunrise screening and everything else i revised and revised and rethought and restructured we... and oh sorry let's let's pause and i would mm-hmm. like to know like what kind of research you did before you left home because i know you did a lot of research research oh, like yeah. did you not like read the play of macbeth oh yes of course so <laughs> i read macbeth i read scholarship yeah. on macbeth <laughs> I was I was literally trying to read all the new books on the Coens that have come up in the last several years. They they keep they keep creating more and more books on the Coens. Um, You know, one by Joseph McBride, which I hated so much I didn't make it past the intro. And then there's another. I mean, there's just so so many books on the Coens. Um, And I just thought I'm driving myself crazy, and it's not getting me where I wanted to go. So that was when I sort of segue to let me just focus on Macbeth, tragedy Macbeth, everything to do with their movie, everything they said about their movie, everything about the production, everything. It was that kind of delving. Um, okay. Yeah. So there was massive amounts um, of that before I ever before I ever left. Um, and then I came up mm-hmm. with you know assorted ground rules for for what I based on you know some of the interviews or all of the interviews I've been watching for my own questions. And one was there has to be I hope several questions nobody's asked, but certainly the first one has to be. I have in other words I have to get them engaged if possible. From the get go, I just felt like if I ask something that is what they always have to answer, that it's gonna it might it's gonna set up, set up, start it off badly, and I didn't want to do that. And by the way, mm-hmm. you know, again, failure not an option. This thing can't. Go well. <laughs> <laughs> if it's humanly possible to make it go well, I had to make it go well. Yes. Um, yeah. So you know, so I so I I did manage to come up with a question about tragedy of Macbeth that nobody had ever talked about. It was it was basically about just reading Macbeth and looking at what he'd done and the and the main change he makes. He does a lot of pairing back of, you know, what he calls the embroidery, the, the language that's beautiful and evocative and thematically continues on, you know, with stuff that has already been said, but that isn't absolutely essential. He had to do a lot of pairing. But he, the only scene, that, that, as far as I can tell, that's really his own invention is the final scene. He cuts the Malcolm speech, um, which is all about, you know, Malcolm's fitness to rule and restoring order in the, in the kingdom after the, you know, terrible bloody reign of Macbeth. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he invents his own, um, which is, you know, much darker about has Ross, the plotter, you know, retrieving the son of dead bank Banquo and riding off with him and a murder, giant murder of crows comes flying up in the front of the camera. And mm-hmm. you know that the plotting and the betrayals and the, and the, you know, the nightmare continues, that kind of thing. So I asked him about that and, and, and he had the wonderful reply. You know, that speech of Malcolm's has always bugged me. <laughs> and I was glad to get a chance to cut it. And it was very much in keeping with his pulp noir sense- sensibilities um, mm-hmm. in in making the world go on, uh, a, a chaotic one full of dark fates and so on. 
And um, no one had ever asked him about that, about the changed at, ending. At least not that I ever saw. There wasn't God, a lot of delving into adaptation. There were more, there were more, I don't know, I don't know, more, more questions about, uh, about the production. Everybody asked. I was grateful that Joel Cohen and Frances McDormand told at the beginning the whole, she, she had done the play at Berkeley Rep. That's where mm-hmm. she first began asking him, would he be interested in doing either a stage version, which he said, absolutely not, I'd have no clue, or a film version. So in other words, she kind of was the instigator um, behind this. So everyone asked about that. So she, they, they told that story when they introduced the film, which is one of the reasons I, I peaced out. Because <laughs> yeah. I was like, well, I felt I had to ask that question just to establish it. And of course, everyone in Berkeley is going to want to know that mm-hmm. it all began at Berkeley Rep. And I thought, well, thank God I don't have to ask that. So I, I took that out, but it, it led me to seeing that I didn't like the order of my questions. So there I am handwriting on the back of my pristine <laughs> printed out copy of questions, my new list of questions. It was mad. <laughs> um, no, that's good. That's how it must go. <laughs> I, think it, I think it is. It seems like yeah. it always is how it goes for me, but this was extra special and intense. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had a rule that I had to include Frances McDormand more. I've seen mm-hmm. her in interviews with Joel Cohen on this film where she gets asked one token question and just sits there the rest of the time. Mm. And that just seemed eh, such a waste good. of a like brilliant human being. Oh, terrible. And, you know, sometimes I think, you know, if, when I was interviewing her, I tried not to. It's hard because there's just so many other obvious questions to ask the director. But she mm-hmm. was also really great about interjecting and keeping the conversation flowing. So I had a much easier time in general, even beyond making sure I asked her multiple questions. So yeah. that was great. They were, they decided to be great. By the way, I should say <laughs> about this whole event, they clearly had a commitment that this, I think in general, they're just very generous <laughs> people it's, in their interactions with the public. But here, I think they really were going the extra mile. Like we're going to make sure everything goes as well as we can make it. It's true. It seems like, okay, so let's just like break it down. I know the first time you were actually introduced to Joel Cohen was at the reception beforehand. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what you were talking about, but he seemed extremely chill. And you all you had like a long conversation, like 10 or 15 minutes, just you two. What were Mm -hmm. you talking about? (laughs) <laughs> well you, you arranged remember. that I did. <laughs> you, take, you did that. you should always take me with you if you need oh, to. i should because i suck at this i i I, my, I have a horror of being the one to approach i just do um and i'm shameless yeah. absolutely yeah. utterly shameless dolores, is wonderful. <laughs> dolores goes up to kate mckay and says something to the effect of you know by, oh by the way has, has eileen met joel on yet <laughs> and of course kate went oh because she had been trying at the reception to steer you know, uh, Joel Cohen and Franz McDormand to the donors who had done a lot to buy up the tickets and make them a hot ticket. Um, they're, 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 she was very clear. This is no secret. They were, they're, they're really driving toward getting um, news funding streams based on having much fresher, more contemporary um, filmmakers come, mm-hmm. hopefully routinely, like um, Kelly Reichardt, you know, First Cow and Meeks Cut Off and a number of other films is coming in March, for example. Mm-hmm. So they're really goosing up the programming at PFA and and Kate McKay seems to be doing a brilliant job spearheading this. So, yeah. you know, they were that was a lot of the goal was to allow allow donors and you know important prominent members of the PFA to be to be able to talk to them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but when she said that, Kate hurried to to get me introduced to Joel Cohen. Um for the life of me, I can't remember. <laughs> you blacked out. That there's there's a couple of inter, you know, I wound up getting to interact with him and with Brandon McDormand a couple of times 
And there's a couple of times I literally can't remember. And and I think that one is the one where you were taking photos and we're laughing uproariously. I would give anything to know <laughs> what we were so laughing true. about. I look really happy. I have yeah. no clue. <laughs> it looked like you were having a hell of a time. And yes, we did snap several oh my secret God. paparazzi photos. Thank um, God you did or there'd be no proof. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we have so many good photos. But yeah. Um, okay. So you don't remember that. You blacked out. That's I fine. Out. I, I remember more about after because then it was very congratulatory and, and they were very kind. They were like very ex- exclamatory. Even Francis, I should say. Not They're right. obsessed. She doesn't really exclaim. But she no. She clutched my hand. She held my hands and told me how excellent it was. And it was magical. And I wouldn't believe it again if there weren't a photo. Okay. What you need to know, ladies and gentlemen, is they're all dating. I don't know what's going on. It's very complex. But there was like a lot of romance happening between Eileen, Joel Cohen, and Francis McDormand. Um, No, I have the photos to prove it. Francis is like grabbing your hand, tenderly touching your arm. And I have one with Joel doing the same. I'm like, okay. Why not? Um, So, but like the thing about Frances McDormand in the Q and A, we we've talked about this. So she's, you know, she's exactly as she appears on screen. She's razor sharp, Mm. extremely formidable, has fabulous posture (laughs) and upright bolt upright yeah and there's there's something you know about her that's obviously like a coiled spring you know Mm -hmm. she's definitely wherever she is she's the strongest person in the room like Mm -hmm. spiritually and otherwise Mm -hmm. and so you can't tell or i couldn't tell at first i was like oh god is francis gonna use her powers for good or for (laughs) evil (laughs) but as soon as you started asking your excellent questions it was like she decided like okay i'm gonna be on this person's side and she was like extremely wonderful generous as you said great at involving the audience you know not only like being entertaining which she is naturally but like giving very substantive substantive answers to your Mm -hmm. questions and interjecting sometimes humorously in the midst of so it seemed more conversation yeah she really was she was just on it. It was really marvelous. And it's so funny. Everyone has the same impression of Francis McDormand. Everyone I tell <laughs> that, everyone I tell that, you know, she she was just the loveliest person and everyone wound up adoring her. They're like, really? I mean, she seemed, but isn't she like terrifying? Like everybody yes, thinks both. that she's terrifying, which uh-huh. I think she can totally be. I've certainly saw her in interviews. Oh, and yeah. So being, if you, if you are in any way disrespectful, ooh. I wouldn't yeah. want to be you in that interview. It's very, she will just, yeah, she'll, she will slam that down. She's, and if anyone says anything that's even, I don't know, I can't, it's hard to believe that anyone would, but people are very disrespectful. You know, part of the reason the Cohen brothers, especially early in their career, had a reputation for being quote unquote bad interviews, which they did, um, is mm-hmm. because people were always, as they said, put it, American American jur- entertainment journalists were always pry- trying to pry into personal information. Like the, the favorite question they had was, do you and Ethan ever fight? Oh <laughs> Joel God. Cohen said 20 some years of hearing, do you ever, f-, and, and answering, no, we never fight. After a while, you're really fed up. And so that was a no, I knew that was a no from the beginning. I wouldn't have dreamed of doing it anyway, but it was absolutely, there will be no personal, no attempts to get personal. But guess what the result was? Because I was strictly focused on the, on, the film, their work on the film, et cetera, which, by the way, I had also read a lot of interviews with European press, and there tends to be a lot of cinephile enthusiasm for the Coens. The, the, the Coens were embraced over in European countries way before, thoroughly, as geniuses, way before in Amer- they were in America. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
a lot of like very intensive, specific, smart questions about the specifics of the film tend to loosen them up. And that's, I, I think, I don't know how smart they were, but they're, those kind of specifics made Francis McDormand tell, especially tell hilarious stories. My favorite of which is, you know, I was basically asking her, you know, <laughs> as someone who had all the stage experience and you it was the real producer on the, not a, not a fake vanity production producer on, on the film. Did she feel like she was kind of a guardian of the theatrical tradition? And she said, no. That, that, Joel, that Joel Cohen is actually a huge theater buff. And she said he's such a theater nerd. He has an, an extensive playbill collection. And <laughs> just from the look on his face, I, I got the impression he never would have told that. He never would have told that story on himself. So it was very, very adorable. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was absolutely wonderful. And I think the yeah. way, I remember the line, the question that really won her over, um, uh, you know, like the thing that you said that won Frances McDormand over was when she was talking about about the, uh, uh, I think the um, the Macbeth production that she was a part of. She talked about the company, yes. and you seize that opportunity to ask her if a company, a theatrical company, was really different than a cast. And she was thrilled to answer that. Mm. Yes, <laughs> I, and I, I think you're you're right. I, I actually was conscious of that because I said there's a real reverence in your voice when you talk about the company. She had referred to right. it in a number of interviews, and nobody followed up on it. And, you know, not everyone knows what the company means. It has a very long tradition where where people were, there was an actual kind of co-op collective, <laughs> the actors as financial shareholders um, um, in the productions. Mm-hmm. So I think she meant in this case more like, you know, in terms of working together with a far more serious <laughs> commitment than is typical in just kind of cast for hire. Um, so yeah, she, I I do think that was kind of like oh that she was like okay now I can kind of relax and not and not be not be quite so on guard and ready to fight if I have to, right Which, right you know they they seem like and I hate hesitate to say this you don't know the, I don't know these people, but they were so consistently decent mm-hmm. and kind to everyone it was just astounding it was just astounding they were they would talk to anyone I I wound up getting invited to a just it was just a little extra reception very small for the for the staff at at Pacific Film Archive who all wanted to get their chance to meet them and it turned out it was a very small gathering it was only like a dozen people and Colin and McDormand were so conscious of it being a little uncomfortable because there's so silences would fall and everyone's kind of standing in a ring around them that yeah. they just went out of their way to whenever there was a like the j- even the danger of a lull to start launching into very easily very gracefully into into anecdotes stories and sort of bridging the gap until conversations started up again it was really well done i mean that's so they, lovely they seem to have really learned the best from fame <laughs> like mm-hmm. like how to make everyone more comfortable you know with the fact that it's odd to d- to be around famous people it is there's no getting around it. You know these people in a way they, of course, cannot know you. You know their pores. You've seen both yeah. of them. You, you've seen them partially naked sometimes if they're actors. <laughs> you know, you, you know way too. You know the tones of their voice. You have way over familiarity with them, and then there they are in front of you in flesh, and you just feel so weird. And yeah. it's many of them never get to the point or can't be bothered where they will just manage it gracefully. Yep. And let everyone else get to be a little more graceful than they would be otherwise. So it was, it was quite, it was quite a thing to watch them do this in such an unassuming way. And again, so incredibly low key and so dressed down that you felt more relaxed just looking at. So that was pretty astounding to watch. They seemed so great. And I, I didn't know about that. That sounds really nice. Um, They were, yeah, I, 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 I marvel at their energy. I can mm. barely keep up a conversation 
<laughs> among friends <laughs> I know. <laughs> with alcohol like holy geez god bless them and their uh-huh. unending store of i don't know social grace so <laughs> and they're great. interested Frances mcdormand is interested in any anybody everybody she you is know. oh my god she'll just go on and on asking you questions about <laughs> what you do and how you feel about things and it's really she's got such a level of engagement i have to say you already kind of mentioned it her extreme and intense i am present for this that you know to have her look into your face is almost overpowering she's so focused on you (laughs) tell me everything you know kind of wonderful levels of don't look at my soul <laughs> no exactly you don't want to look in there francis it's, it's, it's dark in there <laughs> so okay i back to the actual q a mm. though there there are other really nice things um i remember that the questions from the audience were actually excellent and that is not a guarantee like some things that were notable to me were how many young people were there mm-hmm. there were many college students and no shade to my beloved film and media students mm-hmm. there were tons of young people there none mm-hmm. of you whom I recognized. <laughs> so I don't know who the film majors are, but whoever these other college kids are were great. <laughs> and they asked, they asked really, really good questions. Um, mm. And I think it's because you set the level, the bar really high. And people have very serious questions about all kinds of things, the abstract nature of the sets. Mm. Oh, yeah. and Wheeler, you probably knew this. I didn't know uh, that the sets were real. They were built, um, mm. not CGI'd. Um, mm. So that was cool. Um, and I think you brought so much of the adaptation question. You brought so many of the good adaptation questions. I think people were excited to kind of have that knowledge. You know, that was something they couldn't have gotten anywhere else mm-hmm. than if they, you know, were at the PFA. And uh, yeah, everyone was just very earnest about the work and not asking anything shallow or surface level. And um, it was the best Q and A I have ever seen at the anywhere really. Um, wow, it, I'm so yeah. glad you retained this. You know, now that you're saying this, I'm starting to remember. I do remember somebody asking very seriously about, you know, the, 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 the dealings with gender in Macbeth that we, things that we hadn't raised in, in detail. We hadn't talked about that at all. Yeah. Um, and they meant, they cited like three, um, three specific examples. I was exactly. like, way to support your question with <laughs> evidence, kid. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, it, it, you know, part of that was, was so great to be able to have Francis right there and be able to talk to her about things that are very specific, like, how do you attack a speech like the out, out, damn spot speech, which to me is yes. one of the famous, famous speeches in Shakespeare. She didn't seem to think it was as daunting. She thought Denzel Washington having to do tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow was way, was way scarier. But she had an mm-hmm. interesting take in that she, because she had done it so young, she was the first, I think it was her first acting experience in, in school. She was asked to do passages from, from Macbeth, from Lady, with doing Lady <laughs> Macbeth's character. And she did that one. And so she, as I put it, I don't know how true, but I said, it sounds like you had some sort of ownership over it early on, or at least she had such an early familiarity. It didn't strike her that way. But I could also mm-hmm. ask her about line readings. You know, she, she had talked in other interviews about how you don't, you don't, you never want to change the words, you know, but you, you could, me- you could feel like you could mess with the punctuation and that, that really helped her with a particular line reading, which was, um, we fail, which is a, per- we fail. She's talking to Macbeth about whether or not their 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 murder, and you know, they're seizing the throne could fail. And and he and she says we fail is a it's a question mark in the Shakespearean play, but she changed it to an exclamation point, so that it added a kind of, it, what if we fail? We fail. But then she says, but we'll mm. screw our, our courage to a sticking point, and you know, and th- and we won't fail. But it's a kind of almost explosive. Um, 
uh, it's part of the whole we're we're old. It's a it's what Joel Cohen called the geriatric Macbeth because they're both so much older than the people who usually play these roles, and it adds right. to the desperation. This is their last chance at at the ultimate power that they've all they've been thwarted and and held back from, and that kind of we, then we fail, but it's worth failing. It gave her a line reading she felt she could deliver right. And I had another example, which was to bed, to bed, to bed at the end of the out of dance spot speech and how they she really turned that around. She added a huge emphasis on the third Macbeth and turned to look at the people, the doctor and the nurse characters who they thought had been spying on her while she was insane and in a trance and didn't know they were there. And she reveals that she knows they're there. And it's very chilling. And the camera is it's she, she says the line into the camera. So I got to ask her, well, well. How was that negotiated? Was that the performance she wanted to give, or was that a shot Joel Cohen wanted to get, or some you know compromise in the middle? And she was very mm-hmm. she looked very pleased to be able to say she had delivered the line that way on stage. Um, that that was her idea, um, but of course that it couldn't play nearly as effectively on stage. There's no close up. There's no way to give the added horror film punch. Um, so that's what film was able to bring out more. Her particular line reading. It's a really great moment. Um, so yeah. things like that were very exciting, but you know, there's so much that I can't remember that I wish I could remember. I know we talked about the the magnificent Catherine Hunter performance, the three witches. Oh my god! Life I can't remember what we said about it other than yeah, it's great. I know. We oh, said I remember. That. <laughs> but it's I remember a little bit of that. They they asked her to they she came to their home. So Catherine Hunter, you know, legendary British stage actress, um, mm-hmm. does a ton. Uh, um, a ton of Shakespeare and other things. I believe, I believe she's also a director mm-hmm. and, um, uh, and the founder of a, a company in England. And um, so she was kind of improvising, I think mm-hmm. to do the witches and it was so good. They're, they're like, okay, what other parts can she play? Oh, that's right. <laughs> and she, they were joking. Yeah. <laughs> because they gave her the old man who lives in the hut. Yep, um, they yeah. gave her the hermit. <laughs> <laughs> they were experimenting with who else, who else could she do? Oh, and that's yeah. why Francis McDormand told, I think she told about about the improv with Catherine Hunter, like pulling a stocking over her head and and just a big piece of cloth that then became the cloak. The, That's the right. Like cloak. And she just did that impromptu with just whatever to hand was there. And because because the Oscars are coming up. Can we just mm-hmm. say how fucking absurd it is? Catherine oh. Hunter was not even nominated for the yeah. tragedy. of oh, I meant to, And I meant to say that the whole movie was just completely shafted when it comes to that. And Francis um, McDormand was, was, was not, nominated? not nominated. Yeah. Denzel like, Washington come. got nominated. Oh, oh I forgot about that. Yeah, oh, my shocking. God. Ab- yes. Absurd. Absurd. Catherine Hunter, I mean, how much more daring, how much more of a punch to the gut of a performance do you have to give to get a right. Best Supporting Actress nomination? I know, shocking. There was no finer performance that year. It's no. just like, oh my God. No, it, it, so, yeah, it continues to be the dumbest thing in the oh, world. The why, do I, why am I still mad? Well, exactly. This is what I say every year. I'm done. I'm done ever reacting again. And then I, and then they make, they're worse. Then the next year, they're so much worse that I'm like, what? All over again. It's absurd. But I know it is. Don't worry, because worry. Top Gun was nominated for oh, yeah. Best Picture this year. Yeah. So Top that's where the bar is, folks. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> Okay, we digress. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, 
Should so, we? Hmm, where where well, should we go? Here? There's so many things. We can this is what I remember. You hmm. take me on your journey. Yeah. Um, okay, so then we emerged from the Q and A. Yeah. And I, that's when I snapped the most romantic pictures yeah, those between were the, you, yeah. <laughs> you and Joel, and then you and Francis. Yeah. And that's where yeah. I was like, if we stay three minutes longer, Eileen is getting invited to Christmas. <laughs> I don't know, like, <laughs> what is going to happen? Well, you know, and what I also thought is that they, they, they were so extravagant in their praise it was it was so overwhelming that i thought you know i bet they're relieved because i think i was the once i saw the other uh, uh, interviewers i think they knew them all at least slightly um at least oh. two of the, of the three others they knew um which i was told by kate later um and so i think i was the unknown quantity and so it was a bit of a risk to have me be opening night perhaps and they weren't sure how it was going to go so i think that's my guess that they were like probably relieved that it went as well as it did because i think they they again had a really touching stake in wanting this to go well hmm. so okay. i also thought i probably kicked ass i can't remember a lot of it but i think <laughs> you know i i think i i i pulled it off as well as i as i could pull it off um which is which I had to totally kicked ass. <laughs> which had to happen so thank yeah. you thank you it was wonderful of course it was gonna happen of course uh, and then we, we went out for we went out for drinks afterward mm. um we're not gonna say where and um <laughs> but kind of hope we might run into the cohen's but we didn't mm -hmm. but then the next night or two mm. nights late the next night you next went night. back um okay and you you went to see during the day a screening of the dead am i right mm -hmm. that's right yes and that was one of the chosen films by Joel Cohen, and this one he had a pretty direct reason to to link it to the screening his screening later that night of Inside Lewin Davis. Um, the Dead has two crucial songs that are performed in their entirety. If you haven't seen John Huston's The Dead from 1987, his last film, great director, you should. It's overwhelming emotionally. It's all built up to this cumulative, you know, uh, uh, gathering of specific details of a long, long dinner party. It's, it's all you know set in Ireland. And um, a, a hotel scene after it's adapted from a, what Joel Cohn referred to as an impossible to adopt, adapt short story from Dubliners by James Joyce. Um, mm -hmm. But anyway, there's two songs that get that get sung in their entirety um, in the film that are emotionally cru crucial, but that you that you have to have the fullness of the songs to get the, the gigantic emotion. I wept. I, I saw it in eight, 1987 when I was young and didn't have nearly <laughs> the leaking tears response. It's so moving. Oh my God. But at any rate, so Inside Lou and Davis, of course, has many, has more songs than that. At least five or six are done in their entirety and there are others that are also sung, you know, background and snatches. But again, mm -hmm. if for people who can't get it, get into Inside Lewin Davis, which I think is an unfortunately quite a lot of people, even people who like Cohen film, part of the problem might be is they're not a, they're maybe checking out a little bit during the performance of the songs, and you can't because his you know Lewin Davis's emotional life is in the song, right? Um, yeah. So at any rate, that you know those were the kind of links he was making. They were not obvious direct links like we remade we remade this film or something or like that it was they were they were quite tangential but interesting ways that he linked his films to these other favorite films um mm, cool yeah and and then afterwards you went to the bar and then you know that was after it was after <laughs> inside Louis davis that we went back you know there's a i should say berkeley has always had a tragic lack especially right around the campus area and pacific film archive is right across from uc berkeley campus the tragic lack mm -hmm. of bars always has been and so we there were literally like a couple of bars that were the right near you know 
the archive and, and we just you had to go there and we went to the best one every every time we could so we went back again not thinking anything would occur and i was with a friend and pretty soon kate mckay and a friend of hers joined us and the cohen's uh, joel cohen and francis mcdormand came in with their friends and sat in the corner and the next thing i know joel Co- i mean francis mcdormand just came and sat right next to me and my friend started talking and like how was it what the hell did you talk about with francis well, mcdormand again, it's so terrifying <laughs> that, that i <laughs> I have blanked out most of, for all of these conversations, the, the, the awful thing is you wish you could be at your most brilliant and scintillating and, and say something as Jane Austen would say that would stop the whole, the whole room. <laughs> but it's exactly when you can't. And I think it would be awkward anyway. They, they seem to very much like to have ordinary conversation, just judging from my experience, where sure, maybe little insights might pop up or amusing things, but they're just pretty like, conversations about movies and the experiences you're having and how you're liking the experience. It's very, it's very what's, what's happening here and now. Um, I have to Mm -hmm. say my friend really, you know, started talking to her and got into a deep exchange with her that went on at length. So that I wound up talking to Kate and wasn't that privy, but it was just so awesome to have her come and just sit down. I mean, we literally at one point talked about the the issue of clothes and hair, which I'm a little embarrassed. No way. Um, I forget how it came up, but just something about, I was trying to say, I don't even know how it came up, but something about, and it, this has been true, trying to figure out what to wear because in such a dress down culture and Berkeley people take an even bigger pride in dressing way down. <laughs> and then, you know, the Colons certainly always do that. But on the other hand, it's an occasion and you kind of want to mark this wonderful occasion. So how do you do both of those? So 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 dealing with that. So I was telling her this and saying that, you know, someone had react. I posted a shot of the interview again, taken by Joel Cohen. I mean, taken by, sorry, Dolores of us on stage <laughs> talking. And mm-hmm. I, I just posted that. It was the long shot of the stage. And I said so, something. Uh, what was it? Something to the effect of, you know, there had been all this concern about like <laughs> what to wear on this occasion, including shoes. And that you would caution me about, you know, this don't is, forget this the is shoes. my big thing. Okay, <laughs> you're, right. you're gonna you get to continue with your story, but like this is just mm. a thing. And like if you work at UC Berkeley's film department, oh. please listen up. <laughs> so every time we go to like graduation or something, I'm always horrified by academics. Um, neglect of shoe wear okay when you're up on stage especially if you are an interlocutor or you're you know the one ask guiding a q a mm-hmm. people don't and you're sitting in one of those chairs mm-hmm. okay on the stage people have nothing to look at but what your you shoes <laughs> it's all they've got <laughs> so, and at graduation the amount of like tivas and open toe i don't even know what kind of like uh, um uh, amphibious um river to trail shoes are on the stage sometimes it is humiliating and it is disrespectful mm-hmm. and so like people op- closed toed and they should be new, and it would be nice if they were attractive. Yes. <laughs> so, well, especially when there are robes involved. If it's a graduation, everyone's oh, in robes. Right? So all you can look at is the shoes. There's nothing else to look at. Yes. <laughs> so it's even worse then. And you're it's in, even worse. If you hadn't told me, thank God you told me. I probably well, it's not like you had it. 
Eileen, you have fabulous footwear. I mean, it was bound uh, yeah. to work out, but oh, yeah. I, but I did want to highlight it <laughs> for the Q&A. So I'm sorry, please proceed but with the wardrobe rate, quandary. Yes. Someone, I had posted just that long shot. Someone replied in all the, you know, very nice things. People said congratulations and all that. And I, we can't believe it. And I'm like, I can't either. Um, somebody said, and you look fabulous. And I'm like, oh, thank God. Somebody, somebody's giving me something on that front. And I said, Good. and I said, I was telling, you know, Francis, I said, I know it's very I love it to be so thrilled with that but you know it was a weird preoccupation for this event and she's mm-hmm. like oh it's great to be shallow <laughs> and it was I wish ah. I could do impersonations because it was so adorable and again with that intense ah. look <laughs> and yeah. it, it, you know it was really like a great moment because it was like the relief of being able to talk about something that's a legitimate concern but that you feel you should never mention um, or or that it's weird to mention was really. Oh, delightful. my God. I love that. You yeah. had a gal pal moment. We had a gal pal moment. And, you know, because <laughs> I should have known because she just wa- she just has this thing where she wants to be there where you are. Yeah. You know, she wants to meet you on your ground if she possibly can. And it's really very delightful. Again, everyone just wound up adoring her. I mean, everyone. Okay. <laughs> And then can you tell the cute part about when she had stayed at your table for a while? Mm-hmm. How did Joel Cohen oh, make it known? <laughs> the most adorable thing ever. Oh, my God. Okay. Well, it's personal and it, who knows. But it was just, it was, they were also in public. So whatever. She's been there for a, a surprising amount of time. And she turned to glance over. And I had her same sort of close to her same sight line. And he's leaning out from the corner of the opposite, you know, opposite end of the room. And he's just grinning very boyishly. He looked like he was 20. All of a sudden, and and he was just like shaking his head at her, like, "Why are you still over there and not with me over here?" And yeah. she turned to me and said, "I have to go see my boyfriend now." <laughs> I was just like, "Oh, you're killing me with this!" <laughs> really, what a what an adorable. They're really if that's an act, it's a hell of an act, boy. And I don't think oh, it's they're great. They are really such a cute couple. And she would even talk about that. There was a question in the in, in the Q and A that just sort of you know, cropped up about, about something they had said in an earlier interview. I think it was Joel Cohen, but I think they were both calling, um, um, Macbeth, um, and the, the couple, Lord and Lady Macbeth is the only good marriage in Shakespeare, which is a very enticing remark. That's not usually how people think of Lord and Lady Macbeth, or at least I don't think. So they were Mm -hmm. talking about that, you know, and, and, you know, how they interpreted that. And we got into the acting of it later, but, you know, first she said, well, you know, Joel and I have been married for, decades and denzel washington had been married to his has been married to his wife for decades and so this you know they very consciously used it to inform their performances and you know she she said you know periodically she, joel and i would be interacting on the set and there'd be some little tension over something because remember she's the producer and one of the stars and he's the director and writer director and she would catch Denzel Washington looking at her from across the room, sort of grinning, going, oh, no, others probably aren't recognizing this, but I'm seeing you negotiating like some marital, (laughs) some (laughs) marital tension. And I know all about it. And that that was very endearing. So so that's what I mean by it was interesting that in talking about the the details of the production and their work, she especially was much more forthcoming about personal things that I don't think if I'd asked her, she would ever have said anything. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, it does. It's not like terribly personal to be like they're cute and they appear to like each other. Right. <laughs> you know? no, I guess but to me, at least, I still wouldn't have gone there. I would never have asked, how is your long marriage to Joel Cohen informed? Oh, God, no, you know, I okay, never would have right, dreamed right. of asking Yeah, that's that. agony. Yeah. Okay, that's because yeah. you're a you're a decent human being. Um, but okay, so staying with that night, so yeah. Frances had to go back to her boyfriend. Um, but <laughs> yes. then I I believe the anyway, majority of their then, party left. 
They did. They were trickling out one by one. I was getting late. You know, we were out, out outrageously late all the weekend nights. It was insane. I was getting no sleep. But you know, yeah. you sleep when you're dead. Why would you sleep? Um, yeah. So, so you know, it was probably one a.m. anyway. And 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 many of their friends are of their generation or older. So it was pretty game of them to be to be just staying with them. But they were trickling out slowly. And um, at the end, she had gone too. The only person left was was um, Joel Cohen and um, now I'm forgetting his name. I think it's Mark Danning. Um, who, mm-hmm. who did the, I think it was, I think it was the next, um, 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 interview and, um, you know, they stopped by the table and said some, said some things were very nice. And I, of course, I'm assuming they're going to leave, but instead he leaves, he leaves and Joel Cohen sits down <laughs> and Joel Cohen stays for oh what seemed God. a very, very, very long time. It's just like, how long is this? It seems an eternity of wonder. <laughs> and time is just stretching and bending and doing things because yeah. So it was so. Yeah. Like above and beyond, I was like, "This is incredible!" Because you know, it was incredible. It was incredible. So yeah. He well, and so like, what did you? I believe life. you had some conversations about the um the the industry, right? Is that something you feel like? You yes, can share you know that no? was that. Oh yeah, you know it was again. It's kind of like this this kind of chat that you would naturally have. I don't know who brought up what at what time. You know, there were a couple of different a couple of people. Kate was at the table. A friend of mine was at the table, et cetera. Kate's friend. But it was, you know, just something about what's happening with exhibition practices, you know, and it's not like he has some magical answer or anything, as he's, and as he's made clear. He's just like, I don't know. Really, no one knows. I don't know any more than anyone else does at this point what's going to happen exhibition-wise. But he was pretty, this was figures, but um, he was pretty dark on the subject of the whole kind of Netflix model. You know, he'd done Battle of Buster Scruggs. Um, financed through Netflix and released that way after I think a nominal theatrical release. And is that right? Or did it go right to Netflix? Now I'm blanking. Anyway, anyway, uh, it was I, wait, mainly Macbeth. I, I think no, it was no. Netflix. Battle of Buster Scrubs. Oh right, duh. You're right. That, that was, was all Netflix. That was all Netflix. That was all Netflix. Yeah. But he he wasn't very enthused about about that. It was just he just said it's just such a dumping ground. You know things get lost. so I I from that mm-hmm. you can kind of gather that he did, he thought it could have done better and been promoted better, which it certainly could have um mm-hmm. so this feeling of like you know yes there's a ton of stuff people are getting deals and doing work but it, if it all just gets dumped into this big maw that you can yeah you know you have to hunt around for and, and you can't publicize it all equally obviously um is that really any kind of an answer and yeah so he seemed he you know he seemed he seemed to have a fairly dark view of that approach but what a, what approach is going to happen who knows and you know he talked a lot about um we got onto you know digital cuz you know the Cohen brothers for a long time had had been very emphatic about you know we came in with 35 millimeter we're leaving with 35 millimeter you know we'll just retire out of it and you know of course it became impossible and Roger Deakins their their for many many years their 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 cinematographer um Though more recently they're working um, with Bruno Delbanel more consistently, um, he was gung ho for digital from the very beginning, and he just couldn't get them on board for quite a while 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 he was trying and trying to convince them. And you know, it just became a case of not only was it getting harder and harder to work on film, as you know, they just literally all the all the resources, all the all the facilities are starting to dry up as everything goes digital. But as you know, he put it, it just got better. I mean, the image just got better and better. He said, "Tragedy of Macbeth." Suddenly, we could get we could get richnesses of tones of black tones that we couldn't have gotten otherwise, and that used to be one of the complaints mm-hmm. of digital. 
that it couldn't it couldn't <laughs> hold the, the the rich black tones. Now it's better, <laughs> he claims. Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah. So there were things that used to be worse that they've now corrected. So you can just get this in the he also said, well, we couldn't have afforded to do so much of what we did because digital just, you know, saves you a lot of money. So mm-hmm. so now they're they're like, you know, when I asked you, you just feel like you're kind of being dragged <laughs> forcibly, <laughs> you know, through all the technological changes. And he's like, Oh, I am. I am. Because at another point when he was, I think it was another Q&A, someone asked him about this and he said about whether he was going to adopt something. And he said, well, I'm an old dog and you can't teach me any new tricks. So I think he's very torn <laughs> in those two positions. Old dog doesn't want to do new tricks, but, you know, constantly being forced to and he still wants to make film. So, you know, he talks as if there's there's plenty of filmmaking yet to come, which is thrilling because, you know, for a while there, they were also talking about retiring. Um, right. So that's that's very hopeful. And I kept thinking each film they announced was going to be their last, but that doesn't seem to be the case. OK. And so you you ended this. Com- Is there anything else you'd like to share about the conversation at the bar? <laughs> I would. There was lots more. I just I just can't think. I mean, it all folds together. I also don't I can't quite remember sometimes when when we said what when. I mean, my favorite exchange was probably the unexpected one, which was the staff reception, which I only got invited literally hours before last minute. Because mm-hmm. You know, I, I got to tell him something that I wanted to, which I was determined to and didn't know how to introduce it. And finally, I just said it. I just said, you know, my godson, Keenan, you know, I think it's the first film he ever made with his little friends. I think he was like 12. <laughs> <laughs> was a shot by shot recreation of the look into your heart scene from the first <laughs> and, you know, I said, You know, I, I tried to help him have, you know, as a godmother, have have good values. And that's, that was yeah. my contribution with Melissa Crossing. Um, and Joel, I thought Joel Cohen would be all wowed by that, but he doesn't do wowed. He's very, very low key deadpan. And he said, well, that's how Ethan and I got started <laughs> because they used to, yeah. watch, you know, watch endless amounts of, you know, whatever movies played on television back in those days. In fact, he and I had identical, they, they and I had identical, you know, film educations as children. We watched all that, all those films hacked up by commercials, practically incomprehensible, all kinds of films, any kind of film would run. Same thing. Um, and, you know, so we got to talk about that being a great film education because, you know, very anti-snobbery. It, it acquaints you with you are, an art film will play next to an Elvis film, which will play next to, you know, a silent film, which would play next. To, and half of them rendered totally incoherent because, again, so much hacked out of them by commercials. Um, yeah. And there's no way to go back to that education, but it had many, many advantages. Um, um so at any rate, that 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 was so nice to be able to just get get those things in that somehow for some reason I really wanted to say. And of course I told my godson about this and he was absolutely elated. Oh my god. <laughs> he was mentioned <laughs> to Joel Cohen. <laughs> that is but yeah, pretty special. Again, Joel Cohen and Ethan Cohen, when they were really super young, I think they had super eight and they would run out with their little little friend. I forget his name now, I used to know it. And they and they find some film like I don't know the Naked Prey with Cornell Wilde and they remake it. They do a shot. <laughs> so it's a great way to start. That's yeah. so sweet. <laughs> um, is this a, can, can I share about a very special message or is that oh yeah, off yeah. The table? no no because it's okay. a great illustration of the courtesies that are so impressive. Okay. I mean, Again, I had this- little brushes with fame, you know, earlier in my life when I was in a very small way in independent film and working for the Coppola Company, et cetera. Believe me, it's bastardly. Bastardliness is quite common. So this this polite kind of politeness is extraordinary. But yes, it was, I forget, two days after, a couple days after, maybe the Monday 
after the interview that I did, I did it on the Saturday evening. I yes, got an it was email the from, from Joel Cohen thanking me again for, as he said, your generosity. In you know, but like, wait, pause. You what? not only you didn't get an email. Like he had to. He oh, didn't right. have your email. No, he he obviously like reached out he to. Did. He researched. <laughs> No, no, to get your asked, contact he, information. He asked Kate McKay. Yeah, but he didn't ask you. Like, it's, no. you know, he had to, like, fucking ask someone for your email address. That's yeah. research. Yeah. And it was very, very sweet. And he thanked okay. me. And he said, you may proceed. These things. No, you need to. Eileen. I can't remember it word for word. Stop. Don't toss it off like it's meaningless. We need to give it the, okay, what time was it in the morning? Had you had your coffee? Well, no, what was weird is it was in the afternoon and I hadn't checked in a couple of hours. So it was a couple of hours old by the time I saw it. And, you know, of course, it was just in a stream of the usual garbage. And I almost missed it. Wait, what? Is his name lowercase when it appears? Or is it like... Oh, it's like a normal, just a this normal, is Joel Cohen. This, okay. This is normal, and I won't say, of course, the email address. Yeah, I, normal of course. Email address you can imagine. Okay. okay. All of it not flashy. And he okay. said something, yes, thanking me for my generosity. And he kept using that. Earlier on, he thanked me, and this was so shocking, I almost couldn't take it in. He said, I just want to thank you for always having been so generous to Cohen films. And so, ah! yes, reading my reviews. Ah! <laughs> and of course, I, I couldn't even be graceful because it was such an extraordinary thing for him to say that I went generous. I haven't said half enough about your film, but it was so. Oh my god! So anyway, he did a li- little echoing of the generosity thing for you know taking the time to do the interview, and then he said, "Often these things aren't a pleasure to do, but you made you know you made this one so something like that." And I hope. Oh my god! Somewhere, sometime, I forget. <laughs> but it was very, very nice and just lovely to do, and very unusual, I would say, to to go out of your way to do that. Um, like, I mean, how do you even recover from something like that? Yeah, like, I mean, I, I'm dead. Right. <laughs> I'm actually. Do you dead. have I'm any talking. ambitions left? Is there anything <laughs> no, left to do? No, some of my sisters ask me, like, "What do you do next after this?" And I'm like, "There, there is no next. There's nothing." <laughs> nothing no, that's not true. No, you seriously. This is not coming out of this this past these past two weeks, but you always talked about writing a book about the Coen oh, Brothers. Oh no, I film. shameful! It's shameful. It's been years that I've been talking about doing this. Since yeah, the old it's Academy not shameful. Day. Oh, it's shameful that I haven't written it. It's ridiculous. While book after book has come out, I have had the shards of of this roughly the same argument that keeps shifting ground and shifting focus all of these years, and I've just never been able. It's beyond just the time and the energy. It's been. I've never been able to feel I could do them justice um, because, of course, they're my favorite filmmakers. So it's and I think their films are such tremendous achievements. So I would just get daunted by my own task and stop. And it's, it should have been done 10 years ago. <laughs> and at mm-hmm. the very least. And it's it's now, of course, I'm inspired to return to it and do it. And um, yeah, now I really think I'm going to do it because, again, I read I read. The, it's not like nobody ever says anything interesting. Of course they do. There are interesting arguments made here and there, but it's just like overall, I still feel like it's still a little tepid <laughs> and a little rote what gets said about them. I think they're doing more extraordinary things than they're, they're being given credit for. And that's been a, for me, that's been a shocking thing about what, following the Cohen career closely for, for mm-hmm. literally decades, they were not getting anything like the respect they deserved. They were, they was, they were known. In fact, one of the, one of the interviewers for, I forget which film really was harping on 
like you you are you used to be very controversial you used to get very very unflattering reviews um mm-hmm. and he read at length a vincent canby review i think it was of miller's crossing um mm-hmm. at which miller's crossing got shockingly mixed and stupid and insane <laughs> reviews really terrible like as if as if they'd made the most derivative gangster film ever <laughs> which it by is by no means uh, always <laughs> talking about it's like just like ripping off old hollywood movies and i'm like which hollywood movie show me the hollywood movie that is like miller's crossing it just there just it doesn't exist but at any rate that was very normal for their earlier films in fact it, for me the turning point if you're reading the reviews is is no country for old men they've lasted long enough it's been like 25 mm. years and people re- revere Cormac McCarthy, who's, you know, who wrote the novel. novel. And so it, it was almost like because they had adopted, you know, they'd adapted a Cormac McCarthy work and done it reasonably faithfully and well, suddenly they, mm-hmm. they had cred. I had someone say, argue that to me, an academic, tell me that, wow, they finally learned how to make a film properly. And I was like almost apoplectic. Oh, my God. Um, how great do you have to be in this country? to get recognized well pretty fucking damn great for decade after decade after decade and then of course it's all reversed now now they are revered there was a great story from kate about um something happened with the print of sunrise that they were going to show for the 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 first screening that the afternoon of the day i did the interview and Mm -hmm. it wasn't going to come in time and they're in a panic and they found out that um the Disney company had a copy god knows why they have a copy of everything they own everything in the world (laughs) so they wrote to them and it, and at first got a very chilly, unencouraging kind of response. And then they were like, well, it's for this. It's for Joel Cohen. You know, Joel Cohen's going to be here. And the reply was, considering the talent involved, we will allow you to borrow our print. <laughs> so this is the level that even mm-hmm. Disney Company, notoriously rats ass and, <laughs> and mean and <laughs> bothered with you and litigious and awful in so many ways, is like, if it's Joel Cohen, that's an upset. So I think this has been post No Gunny for Old Men growing as they've lasted this long and people have been won over more and more um, yeah. to them being great filmmakers. But I'm still not convinced people really know why they're great filmmakers. So, like, I still don't get the feeling people can make sense of their ability to be humorous while dealing with terrible, harrowing, violent subjects. I still think that weirds American critics out to the point that they hardly know how to cope with it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So there's just aspects of their work that it seems like I still feel <laughs> need a hearing and maybe I'm the person to do it. But whether I am that or not, I, I'm I'm pretty committed. You are. To it. Yeah. 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 You're you're the person. That's what's next. <laughs> yeah, that's the plan. Anyway. Stay, stay tuned to this space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so, okay, let's, am I missing any highlights? What, oh what else God. went down? I think, I think we've, you know, there's tons more. I mean, there's a million more details. I'm literally trying to write out an account before I forget it all, because that's what's happening. I had already yeah. blanked out in shock for, for key moments. Again, what were we laughing about? I just want to remember that so oh bad. I mean, we're literally, I'm like leading back laughing. <laughs> we're heartily laughing. What the hell are we laughing about? Um, <laughs> so before it's all gone, I'm trying to write it out, but there's, there's so much that's 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 fading, and and if only I could remember the the brilliantly witty and perfectly, perfectly um, you know scintillating things that I said, but I don't think I said any of those things. There was one there was one thing I tried to say, and I don't think it went well. Um, I, Joel <laughs> Cohen introduced uh, a great uh, film by Robert Brisson called A Man Escaped, which I, I taught. I know 
and I want, watched it again. It's a fabulous film. But he introduced mm-hmm. it saying, you know, he talked about the kind of uh, Jansenist Catholicism of Brisson and how there's a kind of mystery about the film and that he said there's something about the whole ending that is so moving that but it's but that if someone could explain to him how how it's working to be so moving that he would love to talk to you about it so i thought oh well, maybe i can come up with something in it and i was trying mm-hmm. to talk to him about the tempo it, there's a kind of a it's a prison break film you know uh that that's very protracted and lengthy and um and white knuckle tension all the way along and somehow you get into the state of tension and terror and there's all this having to hesitate on the part of the protagonist, he's got to decide repeatedly over and over to take the big chance, you know, whether it's through aspects of the escape or, um, you know, he's, he's, he's a French resistance guy being held by the Nazis in a Nazi um, prison or to trust someone, which is even harder because, you know, everyone could be a betrayer. And at any rate, sud- it, but it's over much more suddenly than you expect like they they get through this one harrowing thing and you somehow have just gotten into the rhythm of this is just going to go on and suddenly they're out and there's no time at all it's like it seems like it's in seconds they leap hmm. the end of the wall he, he suddenly grips the young the young german boy you know that who he's risk taking with him and says his name hugs him to him very briefly and they both walk off very fast at the same pace holding the same posture the same hunched posture as they walk off into the night and it's something about the rush of the tempo and that you're not expecting that it releases all your own pent up emotion in this like whoosh. Um, huh, not that that it. answers, not that that really, you know, it's just a part of, of what would be so moving. And he sort of agreed, but you know, mm-hmm. I tell it wasn't the thing. It wasn't the thing that penetrates the heart of the mystery of the movie. But you know, what I loved about it, even though I, I don't think I impressed him in any way was mm-hmm. to be able to talk to someone about movies like that, you know, and, and yeah. who knows the movies well is not highfalutin is not, a theory guy, but is an insightful guy and kind of can kind of get into and can recognize other people being insightful. He had a great quote from Francois Truffaut, who he said was a good filmmaker and even better film critic. And it was a wonderful quote, something like a man escape is about, um, let's see, it's about um, a stubborn filmmaker focused on a stubborn man um, in a movie about stubbornness. <laughs> uh-huh. And it's kind of a great way of thinking about the movie once you think, you, w- you wouldn't think it on your own, but once you do, it's kind of a wonderful way, way to view the movie. So it's that kind of easy conversation that mm-hmm. he's able to do, of course, other people are too, but that is thrilling to me because it's casual and yet seems full of interesting insights and it really starts getting you maybe toward the heart of films that have had a big impact on you and he, especially well, an interest in the emotional impact which i always think gets you know considered well that's that's small potatoes compared to i don't know other concerns formal design concerns or theoretical concerns about film i mean thankfully i'm sure you will be invited to many dinner parties to come <laughs> well, I, yeah, I so you can probably. have this out <laughs> yeah christmas will hash this whole thing or thanks exactly <laughs> we'll exactly hash this whole thing through yeah <laughs> And I just need you to ask them one thing for me. Mm. And that is, Shoot. of course, when are they going to move? When are they going to use Gene Smart? In oh, films? I know. She, it is <laughs> not oversight. They're so attuned to great acting. You'd think that Come on. they would have found her already. I, that's a yeah. good question. If only you'd been there to ask it. Or you were there. If only. only. If only. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's a good one. I'll, I'll remember that. Gene Smart. Thank you. Got it. Next time. <laughs> Next time. We're good. 
Well, I think that's so. it. We could obviously go on and on and on, um, but we won't. We won't. I think we're wrapping this up. Um, it was. It was. You know. It was a film series to remember. Um, so again, our t- the title for this episode is Joel Cohen in person. That was the name of the film series. Definitely meet your heroes. Take the shot. Aww. You might just be. They might be better even than you think. Um, thank you, dear listeners, and of course, triple thanks to our subscribers who keep us in scrapbooking supplies. We hope we get that reference. <laughs> Got to go in the scrapbook. Got that? Okay. If you're not a subscriber yet, (laughs) but you like what you hear, please consider signing up with Patreon for all the film suck content instead of just half. And you can follow news of the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Oops, one thing I meant to uh, to tell you. Sorry, little segue. Um, There is a recording of the interview of the interviews, I believe. And if um, if when they are released widely, which I'm waiting to hear, we have to wait for Joel Cohen's permission as to how how widely these will be released. Um, Mm -hmm. We will let you know and see about like getting this out to you. Um, Please join us in two weeks for for continued film suck fabulousness. And until then, thanks again for listening, you all. Bye. Bye. Bye.